more. Friendships don't just happen based on convenience. They are formed through intentional practices of selflessness. We're going to talk about why, whether you are an introvert or an extrovert, true friendship is worth the work. Today on Dreamers and Disciples. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Wade Joy, and today I'm excited to share a conversation I had recently with Larry Hubatka. Larry is one of my closest friends, and we served on staff together at Elevation Church for about 10 years when he served as the creative pastor. And there's a lot I could tell you about Larry. He runs a marketing agency, and he has worked with churches and nonprofits, as well as brands like Walmart and Nike and the Olympics. So he has a very impressive resume. But what I admire most about Larry is the intentionality he places on his faith and on his relationships. He is a great friend to so many people, and I've learned so much about what godly relationships are meant to look like through the relationship that my wife and I have with him and his wife, Kelly. And so I think you're going to be really encouraged by this interview, and I think you're going to be given some tools on how you can actually become a better friend. Rather than waiting for friends to come to you, how can you actually take the steps of selflessness to actually be a friend the way Christ calls us to? And so we'll get to that in just a moment. But first, I wanted to read uh, this very personal um, but powerful review from Sarah. And she just recently wrote this review, and it says, I'm so thankful for this podcast, and it has become a weekly tradition of mine. I believe God led me here because on the first time my husband and I decided to go back to church, Wade Joy visited Freedom Church and spoke just after our son passed away in the NICU. I had little to no faith or understanding and did not know how to have faith or bring my emotions to God. This podcast found me at the right time and has allowed me to learn how to follow God and bring my emotions to Him. Well, first of all, Sarah, thank you for sharing something so deeply personal, and I'm very sorry about your son, Uh, but I'm grateful that this podcast in some small way is helping you bring your heart to the Lord in the middle of your grief. And that's my prayer for every episode of this podcast, is that it will somehow encourage everyone listening that we can bring our whole self to God, Um, our messy emotions, the time when we feel like we have a lot of faith, and the times when we feel like we have zero faith, that God is big enough to handle it all, and that Jesus is near to us, even in our grief. So thank you for sharing that uh, review. Thank you for sharing that testimony. And if anyone listening, if you want to share your testimony or a story of how God is speaking to you through what we're talking about on this podcast, I would love to hear it, and I'd love to potentially share it. So leave a review, or you can send me a message on Instagram, at Joy. I'd love to hear from you. All right, with all that being said, now let's join my conversation with Larry Hubacca. All right, well, I am pretty excited to have you on the podcast today, Larry. Welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this all day. All day, probably your whole life. You've been looking forward to this one moment. Pretty much my whole life. That's right. Um but for those of uh, those of the listeners who don't know who you are or our background, we've known each other for uh, about 15 years now. We have traveled across the world together. We have served on church staff together at Elevation. We've we've done many things together. We even have our own nickname, 
Joy Batka, which some people call us from a previous life. Uh, but you are truly one of my um, one of my closest friends. And there's so many directions that we could take this conversation down that I was praying through and thinking about. But one of the sounds things to me like sounds to me like you just made this a multi-part session where I'm going to make some <laughs> a turn to hit all these chapters. So you heard it here first, folks. Five parts, five part podcast episode, five part series with Larry Hubaca. Get ready. It's a home run. <laughs> but you know, there's a rhythm in my ebook, Shameless Plug: Seven Rhythms to Renew the Health of Your Soul. You can find it at wadejoy.com. But one of the rhythms that I talk about is the rhythm of close connection and confession with friends. And as I look back over all the time that I've known you, you are one of the people, you and your wife, Kelly, who model authentic community better than almost anyone else that I know. And we also talk about it enough to know that it's not something that just happens naturally. So I think this could be a really helpful conversation to explore what does godly friendship look like and what are some of the the challenges that get in the way of it and why is it worth fighting for? Um, and honestly, last year, your friendship has been a real gift to me as I've transitioned off staff at Elevation. I even gave you a shout out in a recent podcast about how last year I was like a month off staff and you invited me on a ski trip. And it didn't take much to, for you to invite me, but it was one of those moments where I felt seen and I knew that you knew that that would mean a lot for me just to get me around some guys and how that was such a transformative experience for me. So well, let me let me also clarify for your listening audience that when I invited you, Wade's response time was record breaking. I said, hey, do you want to go? Yes. <laughs> I mean, literally, I hit send, and within probably 60 seconds, I had gotten a response. And if, if you recall, I think there was a, hang on, I need to check with my wife, and then a minute later, I'm in! Yes, it, it was one of, the, one of the fastest decisions I've made all year, because we had just had a conversation that this was going to be a year of just saying yes to as many things as we could. You did. I did say and, yes. And I, I imagine the highlight on that trip, because we packed a bunch of guys into a small a uh, little mountain condo was that you and I had to share a queen bed. <laughs> we did have to share a queen bed. So that's closeness. That's that 15 is. years of friendship. That is. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll change subjects there real quick. But <laughs> so tell me this, is this your personality to be naturally relational or is it a value you've decided to live out? Is it a combination of both? Do you actually naturally gravitate towards having friends or has this been like a learned skill? Well, let's be clear. Everybody's natural disposition is to be relational. It's probably a matter of to what degree do you choose to express that? Now, I certainly don't think everybody's got the same kind of personality, right? You got some people who are very outgoing and extroverted and they're energized by being around other people. And you've got the opposite end of the spectrum, which is like, I'm actually pretty energized by being alone. But even those people are designed to be relational people, right? It's God's design for us to be in relationship with him and then to be in relationship with other people. So when you ask, you know, where does this come from? Is it natural? Yeah, it's natural. I think in all of us, I think for me, it's um, natural, at least the expression of it that's most natural is I am really energized by being around other people. And, you know, I'm 46 now, at least as of the recording of this, uh, at the recording of the podcast, and I would tell you that if there's one um, quality or maybe motivation about, about fostering healthy relationships, it is just about being deliberate in 
in putting the time and the energy into actually creating them. I mean, like anything, without some level of investment, there's just not a lot there. And right. I mean, you pick the topic. Where where is this not true? You um, get out of something what you put into it. And if you want friendships, if you want relationships, if you want uh, intimacy, if you want connectivity, it requires some investment. And the sad reality for me is that most people aren't willing to do what's required to get what they want. The, um, the challenge, I think, most of the time is that people aren't always not willing to do it because they're lazy. I think sometimes it's lazy. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's like, I mean, there's a variety of different things. We could spend this whole this whole episode talking about that, but I think everybody can be relational. I think it's just a matter of at what level is it expressed and do the people in your life understand how you express that? Yeah, that's that's good. Maybe you can, I know we could spend the whole episode talking about the different hindrances. What's the one that gets in your way? Um that prevents me from developing really rich friendships and yeah, relationships. Yeah. Is it fear? Is it time? Oh, is mine's it- easy. Mine's just being selfish. <laughs> <laughs> mine's like so easy. I don't want to hang out with you because I just want to do nothing tonight. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to go to that restaurant. I don't want to do what you're doing. So I imagine we all, everyone listening ha- has a friend or several friends who are very kind of servant minded in the way they approach the world. And, um, their first response most of the time is like, yeah, sure, whatever you need. You know, you ask them for help and they say yes. And then they ask you what you need help with. I'm the opposite. I'm like your selfish friend who's like, <laughs> do you need help? Uh, hang on, what are we doing? Um, how much time is this going to take? Are we moving heavy items? What do I need to wear? I put a lot of like qualifiers on stuff. I think that's generally because I like, I've, I'm a relatively selfish person. Uh, (laughs) I think that's what comes out when, when I am not interested in putting in the energy of the effort, because I feel like, this is either going to be a lot of work. I don't know if I want to invest the time or energy. Sometimes I think there are conversations to be had that um, require you to be kind of sharp and uh, maybe on your kind of mental game and to like bring some good energy. And sometimes I'm like, I'm tired. I don't want to do that. All that stuff kind of goes back to the same thing the same kind of uh, same place. I just, I want to do what works for me. And I think, you know, I'm again, at this point in my life, I'm spending most of my life trying to figure out how to get out of that as much as I can and say, if the first half of my life was about focusing on me, (laughs) which sounds terrible, I'm trying to like put it in terms that people will connect with. I hope the second half of my life is about focusing, you know, on others much more. And certainly there's always going to be a mix, but that's what I'm spending my life trying to figure out still. How do I become less selfish and more selfless? And what does that look like for me, right? Does selfless mean if you give me a call and ask if I want to go out to grab a bite, I'm like, yep, no problem. Uh, or does it mean I you know, sacrifice my time? I think we have to figure that out for each of us individually. But I know I can put myself first most of the time, and that ends up being the biggest obstacle. Yeah, as you're talking about that, I was thinking about how that plays out in my life because I'm an introvert. So I enjoy being around people, but it can definitely drain me. I recharge alone. And so a lot of times when I'm asked to go do something, even if I want to do it, I know the mental and emotional toll it will take at the end. And and so sometimes out of my selfishness, I kind of like pre-reject the whole idea. Like, now nah, I'm just going to stay home. But every time, right. I, every time I end up doing it, even if I'm tired, 
my soul, <clears throat> my soul feels fulfilled after doing it. And so I'm learning how to, to remember how I'm going to feel later so that I actually go through with it. Right. And I mean, the sad part of this is that nobody wants to describe themselves as selfish. Right. But this is the whole point. This is like, this is the whole um, uh, construct behind sin in the world. Like we're super selfish people. We like to do what we want to do. And regardless of your personality type or your preferences, we like to put ourselves first. And again, if you spend most of your lifetime trying to figure out how to kind of flip this paradigm on its head to say, in those little moments where I actually get to be selfless and serve others, you actually discover how much you love it and how much it, right. it fulfills you and satisfies you and brings joy into your life, brings way joy into your life. But <laughs> for the for the most part, this is this is our life's struggle, right? Our great life struggle is to say, I can put myself to the side and put others first. And we do it in our relationship with Jesus. We do it in our friendships with other people. And the one thing I can tell you with certainty is, in every instance where that's actually been the path I chose to walk, it's always proven to be really fruitful, incredibly satisfying. It, it energizes you. It fills you up. And then this, like, you know, one of God's great mysteries that I'm going to have to ask when we get to heaven is, if we have that experience and it's so awesome, why do we forget so quick? <laughs> right. Like, we have the, shortest, terrible, we have we the shortest memory when it comes to that. That's right. And I guess this is all, to me, it's all part of the same conversation. If walking with Jesus is a daily commitment to loving him, to committing to him, to trusting him, if your relationship is built one day at a time, then every day is a new opportunity. So you have to go and learn this and put it into practice every single day. And it certainly becomes easier over time. But this is what I'm trying to do. I want to figure out how to be great at this. And the people I know who are great at it, I just, I cannot spend enough time with them. And you can feel it when you're with them. Yeah, that's so good. And you know, something you said at the very beginning that we're all created to be relational, even in our discipleship with Jesus, our faith at its core is relational because when Jesus sums up the commandments, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so how we love others, how we relate to others is actually a central component to our faith and to what we actually believe about God and how we express our love for God. And so, yes, it's going to be a sin battle. It's going to be a battle against our selfishness because that's always at war with our love for God. And so, so yeah, the less we can isolate it out as like the relational side of our life and realize that it's all integrated into our faith and to how God created us to begin with, I think the more we'll start to have progress in that area. That's right. I, I don't think any of us like the idea of compartmentalizing our lives to the point where we have to be three or four different people. I think we're trying to live one life and live it the very best we can. And that one life includes faith. It includes energy and effort. It, it includes character, um, discipline. All, all these things are wrapped into one person and we're trying to live life as that person. It gets so hard when you have to like start remembering, okay, how am I supposed to be in this situation? What am I supposed to do here? And I feel like that doesn't feel like the freedom that, I was looking for in my life when I said, Jesus, I want you to be central to my life. I feel like that freedom was live your life, understand my heart and do your very best to embrace it as your own. I'm like, okay, I like that life. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. it gets me in trouble at times, but uh, it's not because it's, it's, um, it's not because it's, uh, it'll lead you down a, a, a dark path. It's because my interpretation of, of what that entails sometimes will like 
put me in a position to over-exercise my liberties. Whereas Kelly, my wife, will say like, yeah, I think maybe you don't need to go to sleep whenever you want just because you can. <laughs> I think you should probably get some rest. You should maybe go to sleep at a reasonable time. I'm like, well, I'm a child, babe. So I'm going to go to sleep late and wake up early and be tired all day. Yeah, it's like actually use some wisdom here. <laughs> Kelly's your voice <laughs> of wisdom. That's right. Um, now, as we as we try to zoom out a little bit beyond just our, our close proximity of friends, and we look at church, where if you know if you're listening to this and you're a Christian, hopefully, most likely, you're plugged into a community of believers. A lot of times, I think we go into churches thinking that that's where we're going to find our community, and it usually we go to church, we walk in, we walk out, we don't make any real friendships. Sometimes we might join a small group, but that community can feel forced. How do you think we can do a better job at fostering authentic community within the church? Because it looks very different in most experiences I've had than when I opened the book of Acts and I look at what the early church looked like. There seemed to be like they were in each other's lives. How do we foster that now in our time? I have two thoughts on this. One, I'm not convinced that we actually want the book of Acts in terms of the lifestyle because it's hard. Yeah. Yeah the life Jesus called us to is really hard and it doesn't mean it's, it's like, um, discouraging or, uh, going to wear you out. It just means it's hard. It requires a lot of effort and a lot of energy. And most of us are like, no, I'm much more interested in on-demand digital self-serve, like make it work for me, which goes back to our whole selfish conversation. But I do think that because that's the case, when we look at the book of Acts and we look at people in each other's lives, caring for each other, I imagine they made meals for each other. They shared what they had. We are just, we actually don't want that. We're like, ah, it feels like a lot of work. Now, I, I think, again, we're working toward that. We're working toward being those kinds of people. And certainly some people that we know are more like that already. And I'm kind of further away and I'm trying to become more like that. I think that's the first issue. The second issue is we assume that church is some sort of magical environment where people are going to be much more inclined to connect. And in, um, uh, in a perfect world, it should be because it should be where we gather as a body of believers who love Jesus, who are living our lives fully for him. But we aren't that. Church is not full of only people who are loving Jesus, you know, as close to perfect as they can. In fact, if church is doing what it's supposed to be doing, church is full of people who love him. Church is full of people who couldn't stand him. Church is full of people who only showed up because they felt guilty, full of people who are there because their spouse or their significant other made them. Some people are there because they're trying to hit a quota. So look at the cross-section of life in church and then go to your work or go to a gym or go to a neighborhood and take a cross-section there. And the only real difference is that you get a lot of people in church who are at least lightly, at the very least, comfortable identifying as a Christian or identifying as somebody who goes to church. Outside of that, you get all the same people with all the same issues, all the same problems. But in church, they feel inclined to have to have their lives buttoned up a little bit more. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, this is like an interesting starting point, which, you know, you and I have talked about this forever. This is why oftentimes I look at people who don't, who don't follow Jesus or non-Christians. I'm like, man, these guys are doing it so much better because who they are in each other's lives is kind of what you see is what you get. It's like very authentic. It feels true. It feels pure. It feels uh, honest. And so when you ask, why is it so hard to build relationships in church? Well, you tell me if you met somebody and your whole life was based on some sort of like a facade, how easy it is to build on that. And that's often what ends up happening in church. You show up playing a role that I have to have I have my life buttoned up on Sundays or because I go to a church. 
And at some point, somebody decides, all right, I'm about to cross the line. I'm going to step over that line. I'm going to say something real. Right? It might be just a moment in a conversation or it might be in a small group if you got that far in. But sometimes something real is, hey, uh, feeling really selfish right now. You know, we talked about that earlier. Sometimes real is like, uh, I'm thinking about maybe getting a divorce. Sometimes real is like, uh, I just don't, I don't like the, the way the pastor preaches. Sometimes real is, man, this guy next to me getting on my nerves. Right. I mean, do we really yeah. want that? Because we're like, oh my gosh, there's some weird tension. But that's the real life. And that's why that's why when we look at Book of Acts, we're like, it's hard, not just because you have to sacrifice and give, it's hard because dealing with and engaging with people at a real life level of authenticity requires your attention, your focus, your empathy, your compassion, your love, your kindness, your your strength. That's hard. So I wouldn't say it's hard just to build relationships at church. I'd say it's hard to build relationships everywhere. However, you end up doing it in the workplace because the routine is so dialed. You see somebody five days a week for eight hours. It's naturally going to happen just based off of volume. In church, you get somebody for probably one hour, one and a half hours, once a week. If you're in a small group, maybe it's another two hours if you're like hanging before and after. So over the course of a week, it's three and a half hours, maybe on a great week. Well, of course, you're going to connect with people you work with better than people you go to church with. Unless we decide, let's be really deliberate about connecting with people who share our values because we are both in church. Maybe we're more alike than we think, but it's at least given us a little bit of a head start. We both are here. And then can we start fostering these moments, these experiences that start to create a little bit more of a a cadence or a routine in our lives, right? A, a, A pattern of... We spend time together. We ask each other questions that go beyond sports and the weather um, or our kids, um, which, you know, if you're a parent, it ends up being like a default for a lot of people. But once you decide, okay, I'm going to commit to this, be a little more deliberate and actually start pursuing this relationship because I think it's got some legs, it's got some merit. I think people are are pleasantly surprised at, well, that was actually kind of fun. We sat around and we just chatted and we talked a little bit about life and it doesn't always have to be deep and overwhelming. Sometimes it's, um, how did you two meet? Even that little question, authentic, candid, real, it's not going to weigh you down to answer, but you get below the surface a little bit. You start chipping away at like, okay, real life, honest answers, true connection. Yeah. And, and I feel like often we're waiting on someone else to make that first step within our relational circles. And so yes. we all we all want the the authenticity of a real relationship, but most of us don't want to take the first step of being real. I think it's so true. And again, you're exposed, right? Nobody wants to be exposed. And I mean, there's a lot of different ways to probably label this, but at the end of the day, if you expose the true you and somebody rejects you, it's tough to stomach. And no matter who you are, no matter how confident you are, you can say, I don't care, it doesn't bother me. Sure, it probably doesn't, but not everybody can hold up forever under that kind of pressure, that weight, that kind of scrutiny. If you say, hey, this is the real me, and someone's like, I don't like the real you, you're not going to say it that way, but you know what I mean by you know their response, or sometimes lack of a response, and you wonder, oh, was that just not good enough? I guess they didn't like it. I mean, we will get in our own heads and talk ourselves into stuff, and then we'll put ourselves in the line of fire by exposing ourselves through being honest and candid, that if we don't get the right response or a response that, you know, that rubs us the wrong way, it can really set you back. And, you know, if if the real question is, how do you go into a 
uh, a situation or a new relationship. And instead of hoping that doesn't happen, tell yourself or set the expectation that of course that's going to happen. Name one relationship where there was not some kind of you know small letdown or setback that happened, whether it was intentional or inadvertent. I mean, I, I used to say this all the time to a group of guys I met with. I said, if you think your friends aren't ever thinking bad things about you, then you don't actually know your friends because they don't not like you. They're just people and people have thoughts that roll through their heads. And sometimes they're thinking about you like, wow, what is he wearing or what's she wearing? Or um, I can't believe they did that. Or why would they do that? I would never parent that way. That's great. Of course they're thinking that stuff, but they don't think that about you. They're humans having those thoughts. And so when we enter into relationships and somebody lets us down or says something that kind of rubs us the wrong way, Sure, it's going to happen. If that's the only thing that happens in a relationship, you should probably get some new friends. But that happens in every relationship. You've said plenty of things to me, Wade, that I was like, I don't know if I liked that or I didn't like that response or that was annoying, but it wasn't to the point where I was like, hey, I need to confront you. <laughs> right. You said something yesterday and I was a little bit annoyed and um, I just want to talk about it. No, and you know what those friends are called? High maintenance. You don't stay friends with them for very long. Right. I'm going to need you to tell me all the worst things you've thought about me right now. Well, I have a list already. I'll just, I'll, I'll text it to you. Okay, perfect. So, you know, someone is, they're in a small group at their church or, you know, they, they, they've got some early stages of godly Christian community, do they just go ahead and just be fully 100% real and open up about everything? Like how do they dip their toe in the water? What's a good like first step for people? Are you asking about like the prescriptive side of like, how do you actually make friends? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I both know if you come on too strong, you're weird. If you don't come on strong enough, people are like, well, that's boring. And so like, what's this middle ground here? And the only thing I can recommend is you just have literally got to be you, right? You got to come in and say, I generally understand if I don't participate, there's probably no point in being here. So I'm going to participate how I can. My personality is probably going to be to participate too much and take over and like have an opinion about everything. And I have to temper that some, but I'm going to participate. For people who are um, less vocal or if when somebody else starts talking, they kind of shrink back because they're like, oh, I don't want to say anything after that. They have to kind of uh, work up the courage to say, I'm going to say something because I want to participate. And to me, participation is probably the crux, right? If you say, how does this actually work? Well, you got to do something. And participation for somebody might be show up. Participation for somebody might be to say something, might be to bring something, might be to initiate something, to ask a question, to come back. There's a lot of ways to participate, but you got to do something. There is there is no version of friendship that happens by proximity, right? You don't get to just stand next to somebody, right? And because I'm standing next to them, we're friends. I'm like, no, that's that's not true. It's no more true than I I can't go stand next to the tree in my front yard right here, and I'm going to become more like a tree at some point. Like it just it it's like life doesn't work that way. So right. the the participation here is to me the the crux of this whole conversation. You want great relationships in your life? Great. Do something about it. There's a there's a book I read recently. I did a podcast episode about it a few weeks ago by Ronald Rawheiser uh, called Sacred Fire. And he talks about the concept of blessing and how when you look at blessing in scripture, you see God modeling three things. God sees you, 
He speaks well of you and he sacrifices. He gives of his life so that you can have more life. And in the same way, we are meant to bless others by seeing them, speaking well of them, and then sacrificing, giving of our life so that they can have greater resource, greater opportunity. And and you're right, like that's that's the core of friendship. It's giving of ourselves to truly show love to someone else. And most of us, most of the time in my life, I always want people to make the first move. I want them to invite me. I want them to reach out to me rather than thinking, how can I bless them by giving of myself? That's right. Well, let's not be mistaken. Everybody prefers to be invited, right? Because you feel pursued. You feel like they like me, they want me, whether it's a spouse or a friend, it's the same thing. But that what you, what you just referenced in that book is, is uh, no different than... Um, the scripture that references no greater friendship than laying your life down for somebody else. That scripture obviously is not about like laying your life down in death for somebody else. Laying your life down is like, get yourself out of the way so that somebody else can step forward or, or shine a little bit more occasionally, or at least be the priority. Yeah. So yes, similar. I feel like we're, you know, belaboring the point a little bit if we go down this road again, but you're exactly right. If you're going to, um, uh, sacrifice for somebody, effort, right? That requires effort, energy, attention. You, you've got to put something into that. It doesn't, you don't get to just sacrifice on accident. I mean, right. do you want to do that? Sure. Okay. Well then you should do that versus I would love to do that, but uh, I just hope it happens. Yeah. I mean, if somebody told me this when I was eight, I was 18, life is, you know, what you make of it. Essentially it's kind of what we're saying. I feel like it might have like redirected the, the course of my life because you realize very quickly there's so many people in our lives that are waiting passively for things to just happen to them as opposed to saying, well, I've got to at least be proactive in this space. I've got to at least try and attempt and put the effort in. And if I do, I'm at least giving myself the best chance to be successful. It's not always going to work out. We know that. We just talked about set your expectations, knowing that people are people. And we make bad decisions and we think terrible things. And sometimes we even say them. They even come out of our mouth and we have to apologize. But if friendships are ruined because somebody's too human, then you've got a bad you got a bad expectation of what it means to be a human, to make mistakes, right. to be imperfect. Yeah, that's so true. And switching gears a little bit from, from how to make friends, but what about the times where it feels like a friendship has run its course? Uh, because I think sometimes we think that all friendships are meant to be lifelong friendships, but you and I both know it, you know, being in our mid forties, the lifelong friendships are very, very rare. I mean, having a a 10 year friendship is rare. That's right. So when do you know that it's okay to let a friendship, I guess, at least move into a different category? Yeah, that's right. I, I, I would say, and and I imagine a lot of people won't like this because I'm making, friendship sound more mechanical or even transactional than it really is. And and that's true. It's not transactional. um, And I don't think it's intended to be mechanical, but in the same way that I might put uh, my wife's birthday on the calendar, uh, which I generally remember most of the time, but still on my calendar, if I put on the calendar, um, send a text to Wade or buy flowers for Kelly or call one of my girls I think that's okay. And if that feels too formulaic and too mechanical for somebody, then, you know, that, that's maybe just a difference of opinion, but I need that kind of support and structure in my life to be successful. I can't just sit around and remember and hope that my heart feels it at the right time all the time. So, um, getting back to my point, how do you know a friendship has, has run its course? 
I think if you've never gone through the exercise of saying, regardless of how you categorize them, you can read different books or talk to different people. And this concept exists. It's a matter of how you choose to label it. But there are some people who, and let's just kind of call them A, B, and C, and I'm not creating a hierarchy as much as just, you know, trying to make sense of this conversation. A's are people who just get to be in your life. They're like intimately involved in your life. You share life. It's symbiotic. It goes back and forth. It's a really great relationship. B would be we're in each other's lives. We know that we're, we like each other. It's amicable. We um, love to get time together. We might even love to get more time together, but we just don't for a variety of reasons. We don't live near each other. Our schedules don't permit it. Seasons of life are, are not aligned. And then C's are oftentimes I don't love spending time with these people. I often do it because I feel like I should. I feel like maybe God's put them in my life for a specific reason, but they tend to be people that drain us more than um, energize us. Yeah. Well, if you have friends categorized in these, you know, these different buckets, and again, you know, someone's going to freak out about like, oh my gosh, that sounds so terrible. Well, it's not terrible when it helps you realize, okay, these are the four people that get priority in my life. And in that kind of A category are obviously your family, probably the two or three, maybe four really close friends you get in a lifetime because you don't get 30 of them. You don't get 10 of them. You get maybe a handful if you're lucky. Sometimes you get one or two that are in your life. But those are people who are like, those are your top priorities. Your Bs are like, I love these people. And maybe some of these Bs can become A's over time, but I love these people. And I think they're amazing. We just, it, life just doesn't work. I mean, one of the things that we've discovered over 22 years of marriage is that when, when um, couples have kids in the same season of life as your kids, it makes things a lot easier. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you can't be friends if you don't, but it sure makes things a lot easier when your kids are going through the same types of things and eating dinner at the same time, going to bed at similar times. It allows you to travel together, do events together, hang out together. It really helps. If that's not the case, you have to work a little harder, right? So I would say in this priority um, uh, category, this A category, it's like, okay, these are the people that are like really tight. The Bs and Cs, great. Bs, I love spending time with Cs and I don't know. But in time, as as friendships do run their course, and I certainly believe that some friendships are seasonal, that they're meant for a, um, a period of time and then you can move on. If somebody is in your life and they're intimately in your life and you move on after a year, three years, five years, 15 years, there's nothing wrong with that even though it might be extremely sad. Of course it's sad to invest time in a friendship. But the reality is, if you're going to let sad deter you from living the rest of your life, you're going to be in trouble. Yes, life is sad sometimes. And when it is sad, our job is to process it and learn from it and take everything up, take everything from it that we can and allow it to really start to refine our hearts and our character and bring maturity into our lives. But then eventually we do move on. And for some people, the eventually as quickly as a week or a month, or a year. And for some people, it's like years and years and years and decades. But eventually we do have to move on. And if you're saying, or if you're asking, how do you know when it's time to move on? I don't know if I have an answer for that. I I am a gut person, meaning I, I go with my gut quite a bit. I know when I'm with somebody outside of the X factor that God may have said, like, this is a friendship for you. And that's happened to me a handful of times in my life. This is a friendship I want you to really nurture and foster. Um, but outside of that, if I'm not with somebody and I feel like uh, that's really energizing, I feel like we can contribute and kind of lift each other's lives, then I feel like, okay, when that starts to wane and I'm either that's not happening or I'm not interested in, in making that happen, then I know, okay, I think we may be running out of gas here, right? This relationship may be um, starting to taper off. And I don't have a problem with that, but I also am the same person that's going to tell you, um, 
I, um, I'm okay walking away from a relationship because I, I like looking towards the future. Right. Where some people love to look into the past. And for them, the thought of walking away from a friendship is like gut-wrenching, excruciating. They could never do anything worse in their lifetime. Well, at some point, you do a disservice to all your other friendships because you only have the bandwidth to manage so many really intimate, high-priority friendships. You do a disservice to all the other ones when you have to hang on to every friendship. So I, I would say learning to prioritize based on season of life, what still feels energizing and compelling, um, what still feels like it's life-giving versus life-taking. Those are all the indicators outside of like, let's pray about it and this X factor of like, God's got a friendship for you with this person and you have to acknowledge it. Yeah. I think there was so much wisdom that you just shared in there. I'm super wise. That's why I'm not, I'm not sure if you know that. Very, very wise. Yeah, um, incredibly wise. I knew it, but now all of our listeners know it too. Um, but I think it's important to realize that just because a friendship fails doesn't mean you failed as a friend. Yeah, that's and, right. And maybe even fails is the wrong word. Maybe because a friendship ends doesn't mean you failed as a friend. Because like you said, sometimes it's a natural ebb and flow of life and seasons change. Jobs change, proximity change. And, and one thing that's really helped me, and like you said, you can use so many different categories, whether it's A, B, or C. Um, but sometimes I have put my um, the, the relational needs that you would get from a friend on the wrong category of people in terms of the, these people were really just either associates at work or they were people that I was called to invest in and, and mentor and pastor, yet I was wanting more from the relationship when God had actually assigned me to to mentor them. And I was looking for the re, the the emotional uh, connection that you would get from a friend from somebody who I was called to lead, and it caused frustration. It's mechanical sometimes to categorize categorize friends, but I think it's actually helpful to know, God, what are you calling me to bring into this relationship? And then what should I, like, what reasonable expectations should I have from it? And and that at least gives you a starting place to know how to define the relationship. And I think once something is defined, it can grow, it can flourish. When it's ambiguous sometimes, that's where confusion and frustration set in. Yeah, that's so true. And if we're, if we're not good at listening to the prompt that either comes from having the Holy Spirit in us, and this is where, you know, sometimes I get a little like exasperated talking to friends who feel like they had to pray about everything. And I'm like, I hope you're praying about everything. That's awesome. You also don't need to pray about everything because Christ does live in you. And <laughs> as you are hanging with a friend or you, you're sitting on your couch and you feel like, oh, I should give way to call real quick. Well, if I don't give way to call, Wade's life is going to be fine. And my life's probably going to be fine, but I think it's a missed opportunity. And if what we're desiring is connectivity, well, when those prompts come, we have to act on them. And then sometimes I'll downgrade the call. Like, I don't want to call right now. I'll just send them a text. And fine. It's something. And again, all of that stuff moves us forward. But if you want to develop vibrant, robust, rich relationships with friends, then do your part. When the prompt comes, because this is what I think this is what we're asking for most of our lives. God, please help me to have the wisdom, to hear your voice, to walk in faith. And God's like, great. The like 20 times I gave you opportunities to do that today, you were non-responsive. So I will keep trying. Don't worry about that. I love you. I, I understand that you're an imperfect person, but I will keep trying. But you may not want to keep praying it if you don't mean it. Yeah. Because if you're going to pray it, then please mean it, right? And, and sometimes I get it. We want to mean it, but we're like, I just, I know it's the right thing. I just am not there. I don't have it today. 
Well, I get it. God gets that too. And he's not going to, he's not faulting us for that, but let's just acknowledge the reality. If you're going to pray, God, I really want some like great connection in my life. Awesome. God will give you opportunities. And if you don't act on the opportunities, you're not participating, you're not doing your part. I'm not sure why you're expecting any other result than what you have, which is less intimacy, less connectivity than you currently have. Something's got to change somewhere. (laughs) Yes. And and it's, it usually starts with us. (laughs) That's right. Um, you know, as you're talking about, you know, God put someone on your heart, you call or text. I always appreciated uh, the, the times that the past year where I would just get a random phone call from you because nobody does that anymore. At least no one in my circles. It's always a text. It's always something that's a little bit more removed. And so even just getting a couple of unplanned phone calls from you, it's like, oh, that's really cool that that he just wanted to actually hear my voice and hear how I'm doing. And I would say things like that go a long way. Text, I mean, I know I was just saying that a call is better than a text, but even a text goes something. a long way because I have been walking in the morning praying through something and I would get a text from my friend Lee saying, hey, God just put you on my heart right now. I wanted to share this scripture. And it was God speaking to me through another friend's thoughtfulness that just made me know that I was seen by God. I was seen by that person. So don't underestimate the small steps you can take in friendship because they usually go way further than you think they are or they're going to go. And and if you actually believe that in God's economy, we're a lot more connected than we realize that God speaks to you through me, speaks to me through you, speaks to me through my wife, through my kids, through my circumstances, through the scripture, through the Holy Spirit. If we actually believe this like larger um, kind of web that that God has spun that we're all a part of, then of course we have responsibility to be obedient when God prompts us because we have we have a role that we play in each other's lives. And if we were all intended to be entirely siloed and independent, then God would have just built it that way. There would be no need for relationships. But if there is a design that's innate in us to be connected to each other, why would we think that the connection only happens when we're in person or on the phone or, or sending a text, right? It can be when I'm sitting here and God gives me something for you and I feel like, oh, I should call Wade and tell him, or I was just thinking about him, or just check in. That to me makes perfect sense. I, I, I get that that may not be natural to think for, um, or intuitive to think for a lot of people, but if we're supposed to be in a relationship, yes, God should be using us in each other's lives in a variety of different ways. That makes perfect sense. Whether or not we choose to participate, totally up to us. I mean, that's, I think that's a good kind of just call to end on too, of like a challenge that God's inviting us, number one, into relationship with him. And then he's inviting us to actually be in relationship with other people and be in that connection that he designed us for. And so stop waiting for other people to make the first move, actually invest, give something of yourself and be a friend, be the the love of Jesus to someone else. I think that's that's kind of been the theme of everything we've been talking about. But I think everybody wants to be your friend now. I love that. <laughs> I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start greeting everybody that I meet with a kiss on the cheek. I'm gonna go like, like 30 AD. I feel like it's it's right. It's time. Yeah. Everyone loves you getting in their personal space right now too. So I oh, think that's that's perfect. Love that. They uh, love that. Where can people find you if they want? to hear more from you or follow you? Well, I'm trying to not be active on social these days, but I am Larry Hubatka at everything. So, or on everything on, on all platforms. So you can find me there. 
I, I like, um, I'm real feast or famine. I mostly don't want to be on social because I'm just, I'm having like a mental lapse right now where I'm like, why am I on social media again? Am I trying to build a platform for myself? Why do I need a platform? I think I just need to stop taking videos and just like be present. So I'm having a moment, but you can find me at Larry Hubeck everywhere. And, um, but when you, you do more, when you do post, it's gold. Oh, thank you. Um, and then if you want to hear more, uh, I don't know, probably jump on Amazon, buy my book, buy my book, you little jerk. That's probably the, like the most interesting thing that you'll read that I put out recently. All right. I'll link to all that in the show notes, but Larry, you are my friend and I'm very grateful for you. And I thank you just for sharing your wisdom because you are so wise on this episode of the podcast. Thanks, Wade. Thanks for having me. And apparently we have four more installments of this. So, you know. That's right. We'll do we'll do one a year for five years. Okay, perfect. See you then. See you next year. Yeah. I hope you enjoy that conversation with Larry and that you feel inspired to do the work of being a better friend, of being selfless, of loving like Christ, and also knowing sometimes when you need to set boundaries and when a friendship for a season was just that. It was for a season and being open to the relationships that God is bringing into your life right now. So I hope it encouraged you. You basically got just to eavesdrop on what it would be like for me and Larry to hang out. Uh, But if you want to keep up with Larry, which I encourage you to do, I'll have all the links in the show notes for you uh, for how to follow him on Instagram, how to get his book. Also, you can get my free book, my free ebook that is, Seven Rhythms to Renew the Health of Your Soul at wadejoy.com. There'll be a link to that in the show notes as well. It's just a way, it's a step-by-step guide to help you adopt and embrace healthier rhythms in your life that lead you to prioritize what's important to Jesus. And so I encourage you to get that. And if this episode was helpful for you, subscribe to the podcast and then share this episode with a friend who needs to hear it too. All right, well, I'll see you back here next week on Dreamers and Disciples.